Um, we're going to pick up our study in Genesis this morning in uh, Genesis chapter 21. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get through the rest of this chapter. We started this chapter last week. So uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis 21 and ask you if, uh, if you would again to please stand for the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. Genesis 21, verse 8, through the end of the chapter. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone... She put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing, You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. 
So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Let's pray. Father, again we come before your throne of grace, thanking you for enabling us to gather again today for corporate worship. And we do pray now that we may remain in an attitude of worship as we consider the truth of your word and the applications for our own lives. Lord, enable us to see your grace at work in these pages. Enable us to understand as you would have us to what you are saying here and the implications that this passage has for us. We ask that you grant it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. This um, chapter, and again, I was trying to get it all as a whole, um, except for we did the first eight verses last week. Um, so it represented, because of the different stories here, represented a little bit of a challenge when I'm trying to sum up, <laughs> as I uh, customarily do, sum, it up in, sum up the meaning, the main point in one sentence. So, so here you go. Here's a shot at it, except it's not one sentence. It's two sentences. Um, but the main point being, we have an inheritance from God that we receive through promise, not through our Efforts. Because of this, we should make efforts to bless other people. Um, one more time, and I'm just going to be heavy emphasis on that first sentence. That's, that's going to be our primary point of focus. We have an inheritance from God that we receive through promise, not through our efforts. Because of this, we should make efforts to bless other people. It is interesting um, how salvation and works relate. So just to kind of offer what I hope is some clarity right up front, uh, and which I think everybody here already understands, but we are not saved by works, but we are saved Two works. So every Christian should be characterized by good works. 
Although, again, we are not saved by good works. In other words, we're not Christians because we, we were so good or because we did such good things or anything like that. We're not saved because of who we are in the sense of our achievements, our goodness, our merit. But we are saved by the grace of God. I'm going to spend a little time on that here in a minute. But we are saved by the grace of God and called to a life of good works. And I think the, the, probably the basis for this, especially when we're considering the, the narrative of Abraham, um, is back in verse 12. You remember, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 12. First three verses of chapter 12. Where we are told there that God blessed Abraham, and He said to Abraham that He was going to bless him. He's going to have an inheritance for him, the land, and He was going to multiply his offspring, his seed, and that He would be a blessing. Right? I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, so forth. So He's going to be somewhat of a channel of blessing. In fact, the Lord said that it would be through the seed of Abraham that all nations would be blessed. So Abraham was blessed by God not because of something inherent in himself, not because of his own merit. He was sovereignly chosen, called out of Ur of the Chaldees, called out of um, paganism. But part of that calling was that he would be a channel of blessing. He and his seed would be the means by which the, the, the nations of the world would be blessed. And we've talked quite a bit about already about how uh, what's happening there really is that the gospel is being presented to and through Abraham. Because the seed that's being referred to there primarily is Christ. And Paul makes that, the Apostle Paul makes that clear in the book of Galatians. And, and uh, we'll be considering that some again today. So... Um, I'm not a fast talker, but I'm, I'm probably going to try to move a little fast here because there's a lot to cover. So, um, so uh, hang on, okay? Um, here we go. All right, so what we have here, first of all, remember now Isaac has been born, and Isaac was the child of promise. God called, as I mentioned a moment ago, God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he promised him land, and he promised him offspring. And we saw how that, over a 25-year period, how, how that uh, played out. Um, the, promise, the promise was good, but the promise was delayed. And Abraham and Sarah got impatient, apparently, and they devised different ways of bringing about God's promise. First, Abraham thought it would be through his servant, Eliezer. Obviously, he's going to be my heir. God said, no, 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 you're going to have a son. Well, then they thought, okay, Abraham's going to have a son, but evidently it's not going to be by Sarah because Sarah passed childbearing age and that's, that's not going to happen. So they, they took Hagar, who we were just reading about here, and, which was Sarah's handmaid, and um, Abram, Abraham had a son by Hagar. Oddly enough, this was Sarah's idea, and this was their way of trying to bring about seed, offspring, to Abraham in order to fulfill God's promise. 
But again, God rejected that. And, and, and the child, by the way, was Ishmael, who's the one we just read about here being cast out into the wilderness. So the child was Ishmael, Hagar and Ishmael. And God rejected that and said, no, 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 no. You're going to have a son. You're going to have seed by Sarah, by your wife, Sarah. And then last week, we saw that finally come to pass. After 25 years, not in our study, but in the life of Abraham. Although we could spend 25 years going through here probably. Uh, There's enough material here for that. It's that rich. So Isaac has now been born. He's He's the child of the promise. Remember that. God made a covenant. God cut a covenant with Abraham. Promised an inheritance. He promised him offspring and he promised him land. Right? And God is fulfilling filling his promise now through the birth of Isaac. Isaac is the child of promise. Now, Ishmael, biologically, was the firstborn child of Abraham, right? He was not the child of Sarah, but he was the child of Abraham, so biologically he's the firstborn son. So I want you to think of it this way, and I'll try to, I'll try to um, show you where I'm getting this from if, you probably already know, but um, Paul's teaching in Galatians. But think of it this way. Ishmael was the product of human efforts to bring about divine promise, the fulfillment of divine promise. God made promises to Abraham, and Abraham and Sarah basically said, you know, um, God needs help in making this happen, and we can, we can help, we can make this happen. And through their efforts... Ishmael was born to fulfill the promise of God in their mind. But that's a totally wrong approach. (laughs) Totally wrong approach. The promises of God are not obtained by human efforts. The promises of God are just that. They're promises based on God's grace. That is unmerited favor. So, um, think of it this way. God's inheritance for His people is received not by human efforts, that's not how it's realized, but by promise. That is, God promises it, and then God brings it to pass. So that's why my first sentence earlier that I read. We have an inheritance from God which we receive through promise, not through our efforts. And that's why, if you look down with me here, and you thought I was never going to get to the text, didn't you? Look down with me here at, at uh, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 8. The child grew, talking about Isaac, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And you can imagine um, the excitement here. This is the child of promise. And so uh, there's a great feast and celebration and in honor of the child. But something happened here. Verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Now, what seems to be implied here is that Ishmael, who's now about 13 years old, was, uh, or at least that old, was mocking... Isaac. 
So you have this child, Ishmael, who is the product of the will and the plan and the workings of Sarah and Abraham. Again, the product of human effort. You have Ishmael mocking the child of promise, the true heir, the one that God promised and has now um, brought into being. He's delivered on His promise. And so Sarah, uh, no doubt, is infuriated. And she goes to Abraham, verse 10. She says to Abraham, "...cast out this slave woman with her son." For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And Hagar was indeed slave woman, handmaid of Sarah. And the only reason that she had had a child by Abraham, again, was because Sarah got the idea that this would be a way to bring about um, offspring for Abraham. Bad plan. So now Sarah is concerned that this child of this slave woman is going to wind up being the heir to Abraham, or at least a co-heir, and she won't have it. Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son. That verse is, uh, that statement, very important. Paul quotes it in Galatians. And so Abraham does. Now, you notice in verse 11, he's not happy about it. In fact, he's displeased with that. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham. And you remember um, earlier when God is making the promise, you know, you're going to have a seed and you're going to have seed by Sarah. And, and it's almost like Abraham is, is thinking, this is all too much. You know, we're too old. That would take a miracle, Lord. <laughs> Seems to be his reasoning. And he says, oh... And plus he probably has concern for Ishmael because this is his flesh and blood son. He says, oh, that Ishmael might walk before you. He is, he's pleading with God, accept Ishmael as my heir. And God comes back rather strongly and says, no, <laughs> no. He shall not be your heir. He's the child of a slave woman. He's born into slavery. He's not the child of promise. So God rejects that. And you see here that Abraham's sentiment uh, is apparently the same. Not, not totally. I mean, now we have Isaac, and Abraham is no doubt rejoicing in Isaac, the child of the promise. But he wants Ishmael to be in on it too. So when Sarah says, cast out the slave woman with her son, it's very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. He's concerned for Ishmael. After all, again, this is his biological son, firstborn. But God says to Abraham in verse 12 something that might be kind of surprising. Don't be displeased. Verse 12, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. 
Now, that sounds rather odd, doesn't it? You mean God is going to not only allow this woman and her son to be cast out, but He's actually condoning that. Now, regardless of what Sarah's motivation is, I mean, Sarah's motivation may be all wrong here. I mean, she may be um, just envious and uh, afraid and whatever. We don't know for sure what was going on in her heart other than she's being protective of her, her own son. But regardless of what her motivation, even if it's bad, God tells Abraham, do what she says. Now, that's not because, um, well, just, you know, hey, she's, she's right in this case. It's like God is saying, oh, I hadn't thought of that, and maybe she's right. No, it's because what's happening here is going along according to God's plan. Not only for the life of Abraham, and for what he's going to do with Abraham, but for his whole entire plan of salvation. There's something, there's prophecy being lived out here. Something, symbolism, type, uh, uh, there are types being cast here that are directly related to God's plan of salvation. And we'll come to that, Lord willing, in a moment. But for now, he just says, do what Sarah says. So get rid of the slave woman. Why? Well, because, again, verse 12, through Isaac shall your seed be called or named. Isaac is the child of the promise, not Ishmael. Through, so God reiterates. Let's make this clear. Go ahead and do what Sarah says, because Isaac shall be your offspring. Through Isaac that your seed shall be named. And then he also reassures Abraham that Ishmael will be taken care of. Now, let me say something here about that. I think um, in these um, following verses, verse 13 all the way down through verse 21, um, Hagar and Ishmael are cast out into the wilderness, desolate place, and essentially left there for dead. But God rescues again. Remember, He did this earlier when uh, Hagar's already been cast out once. And God came to her and told her, go back, go back to your Sarah, your mistress, and submit to her. And He assured her then that He was going to take care of the child. And He reassures her now. Great picture, I think, of what we often call uh, common grace. In other words, Ishmael is not the child of promise. Nevertheless, God says, He's going to be taken care of. I'm going to make a great nation of him, which he does. And uh, also, he provides for them uh, there. And that's interesting. Um, God opens her eyes. And there's kind of a play on words here. You look, at, you look at verse 16. Hagar says, Let me not look upon the death of my child. She's basically saying, You know, I'm close my eyes to this thing. I can't bear to see it. And then. Uh, God, in verse 19, opens her eyes and she saw a well of water. I mean, beautiful picture, uh, I think, of, of, uh, of salvation, uh, at least in, like I say, in, as, a, as a type, just a picture. Someone being in a wilderness place, desolate, no hope, in despair, until... God opens their eyes. And salvation was right there, right there in front of them, right there in the vicinity. 
It's kind of like uh, Paul saying in Acts 17, In Him we live and move and have our being. He's not far from any one of us. He's, he's right there. The problem is not that God's not there. The problem is that people are blind to that fact. And so God opens her eyes to the salvation that she needed then and there at that moment. And uh, she and the boy were rescued, and he went on to grow. And she took a wife for him uh, from Egypt. And, of course, later, as you read through the Bible, you'll find that God does exactly what He says He's going to do with Ishmael and blesses him, although he's not the child of promise. He was nevertheless the seed of Abraham. And God made provisions for him. Now, Child of promise versus child of the flesh, meaning just a child, a child produced by human efforts. Now, you might want to hold your place here, but flip with me over to Galatians 3. And Paul uses this whole scenario here to make the argument that we are to kind of confirm... Um, his teaching that we are not saved by works, in other words, human effort, but we are saved by grace as a result of God's promise. Right? So, in fact, I'm going to give you a couple other references too, and then we'll look at Galatians here. But uh, you may want to go back also in your own study. Look at Romans four, Romans four thirteen. For the promise to God, oh, I'm sorry, to Abraham. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, or his seed, that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And there again, he's, he's the same idea that uh, salvation is not by works. We're not saved through our own efforts. We're saved by grace through faith. For it, he goes on to say in Romans 4:14, for, uh, "For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void." Notice that. If, in other words, if you're saved by works, the promise is void. Verse 16, Romans 4:16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, meaning the father of all the faithful. Now, in Galatians, Paul is, is making that same case here. We're, we are saved by grace through faith. That is, specifically through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means trusting in what Jesus has done and living out a life of righteousness in our behalf and dying an atoning death that is paying for our sins in His death, trusting in the work of Jesus, not our own works. In fact, Paul is emphatic. You, no one is saved by works, meaning our own works. Or if Gates used to say, um, 
We are saved by works. The works of Christ. (laughs) True statement. But what Paul is saying here is we're not saved by our own works. So look at verse 16. uh, Chapter 2, Galatians 2. Excuse me, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So let me just paraphrase that this way um, to kind of tie it into what we're talking about in, in, in Genesis. And it does tie in. I'll show you that in a minute. We are not saved, or say it the way Paul does here, no one, no one, no one will be justified. That is, put in right relationship with God, counted righteous before God. No one will be justified through human efforts. That's what he means by works, or by the works of the law. You you cannot earn favor with God, or be put into right relationship with God, by doing good things. In fact, um, let's just take that a little further, and you can you can um, check me out on this. Uh, go back and, and read Romans one through three. In fact, there are none who do good. So what happens is, apart from Christ, even the good works that we do are tainted by our own sinfulness. So, for example, in Proverbs it says, the plowing of the wicked is sin. That's a strange statement, and you think, what? what? I mean, the plowing, I mean, that's, that's a way of talking about a, just a good, honest, hard day's work. So, not, not a whole lot of people, probably nobody in this room plowing anymore. So let's just bring that up to modern times. You, know, you think about it, just somebody going out, holding down a good job, giving 8, 10, 12 hours a day, being honest. That is sinful in the eyes of the Lord, according to Proverbs. For the wicked. How, how can that be sinful in God? Well, again, because those apart from Christ... Even the good things that we do, what are typically thought of as good things, right things, are tainted by our corruption. The corruption is in us. Not, it's not exterior. <laughs> not, not something outside of us. Oh, he's got on the wrong clothes today or whatever. You know, he's, 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 uh, he's obviously not right with God. Oh, he, he did something last week. He's obviously not right with God. Well... Whatever bad thing he or she may have done, it's, it's not the bad thing that made them bad. It's, it's the corruption in their heart that caused them to do the bad thing. It's just a... Whatever the deed was is just a manifestation of the evil in the heart. And that same person, even when they do good deeds... The good deeds in the sight of God, the good deeds 
are tainted by the sinfulness of the person. So even something like just a good, honest, hard day's work, when it is performed by a person who is living in rebellion against God, that good, hard day's work is evil, sinful. The plowing of the wicked is sin or sinful. So there are none of us who are good, and that's why we're not going to earn favor with God by our works. And that's the case that Paul is making. So the only way to be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to receive the inheritance that God has promised is for God to fulfill it, for God to give it. It is is received, it is realized through promise, not through human efforts. Chapter 3, Galatians 3, verse 14. Three fourteen, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of Spirit through faith. Or some translations will say the promise of the Spirit, which I think in context is actually a better translation. So Jesus, he's just said that Jesus became a curse for us. That's what I'm talking about, trusting in his work. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why did Jesus do that? Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to the nations, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus died in our place so that we might receive the inheritance that was promised to Abraham so that, by the Spirit, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It comes through promise, not through human efforts. Verse 18 Galatians 3.18, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. Paul's saying, look, a little um, logic here, it's one way or the other. You either earn your way into right standing with God or you are saved by grace. In Galatians 3.22, he says, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe or those who have faith, those who trust. And then 3.29, If you are Christ, and here's the issue, the bottom line issue, if you are Christ, that is, if you belong to Christ, if you're trusting in the work of, not your own works, but the work of Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Isn't that amazing? Then you are Abraham's seed or offspring and heirs according to the promise. You are an heir of the promise if you are trusting in Christ. Not your own works, but in Christ. Now do you see the distinction back in Genesis 21 and why Sarah says to Abraham, cast out the slave woman and her child. She shall not be heir with my son. It's either or, is what Sarah was saying. She'd been reading Paul. Well, okay, probably not. It's just the same God was at work there, right? And it's one or the other. 
It's either my son, the product of the promise of God, or it's Ishmael, Hagar's son, son of a slave woman, the product of human effort. Sarah's saying it's one or the other, and it ain't going to be the other. It's going to be Isaac. And that's what Paul is saying too. It's one or the other, either by grace through faith in Christ or through human effort. And it ain't going to be through human effort. Nobody's justified that way. Now, just to show you I'm not making this up, look over chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. In other words, you who want to be accepted by God based on your own works. Don't you hear what the law is saying, Paul says? Do you not listen to the law? Verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Now, let me just interject a note there. In other words, he was the product of human effort. He was the product of the will of man. Sinful will of man. The product of a lack of trust in God. And therefore, a resistance to waiting on God. But the son of the slave, verse 23, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, Paul says this, and he's referring to Genesis 21, where we're at today. Paul says this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Of course, he's referring there to Abraham. He's saying, I'm I'm sorry, to Sarah. He's saying, um, Sarah corresponds to the Jerusalem above, and the children that she bears are free. So he's saying, it's, it's it's like an allegory. It's a picture of how God's inheritance is obtained, not through human efforts, but through promise. Through promise. Hagar was a slave woman. She represents slavery. That's what human efforts produces, slavery. And if you try to earn acceptance with God, you're going to find yourself just more and more and more and more enslaved and more frustrated. And even if you don't ever realize that, um, the end of it is going to be that you're not going to be accepted with God because the inheritance is not received through human effort. It is received through promise. through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how the promise of God is received. Now, what about the last section here? I told you I was going to spend the most of my time on the first section, which we just did. So let me just real briefly 
talk about the, uh, the last, last uh, section of the chapter, verses 22 through verses 34. I'm back in Genesis, Genesis 21. Genesis 21, verses 22 through 34. Remember Abimelech. We've already had one episode with Abimelech. When, when they came into this land, Abraham um, and Sarah told Abimelech that Sarah was Abraham's sister, and Abimelech took Sarah into his harem, and God rebuked Abimelech, and uh, he got in trouble with God, and Abraham got in trouble with him. Um, he rebuked Abraham. Why did you tell me she was your sister? But after all that, um, Abimelech blessed Abraham, and he basically said, "You look, you stay in the land as long as you want, and you know we'll do whatever we can to help provide for you, whatever you need. Um, so Abimelech wanted to be friends with Abraham. And, and remember the promise back in 12.3, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And so now Abimelech um, tells Abraham, it's, look, it's obvious God is with you. That's verse 22. God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's already been lied to once. And he's saying, look, I have helped you and I've tried to bless you. Here's Look, do this. Deal honestly with me. And so they cut a covenant. And Abraham swears and makes a covenant with Abimelech. And even though they have this issue about the well that apparently was stolen from Abraham, they settle that and they cut a covenant. And Abraham says, um, uh, agrees that there's going to be peace between them and Abraham stays there, builds an altar, calls on the name of the Lord. And we're told in verse 34, Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Now here's the here's point. In light of what, I, what all I've said about the first half of that chapter, here's the point I want to make here that I, I think is um, part of what the Scripture is communicating. We are not only called... To be blessed. We are called to be a blessing. We, we are channels of God's grace. That's, that's why we're here. We have been given a commission. Go. Make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, Jesus said. So, we, we are carrying the message of God's grace, proclaiming it to the world. And that's huge. And I don't have the time to spend on that right now, except to try to Say that. That's huge. Huge. It's big. But listen, we got to have credibility with the world insofar as it's possible. So even though, and I know sometimes we could do everything right, and I'm not, this is not totally hypothetical. I mean, I'm sure I've never done anything, everything right, but uh, maybe not anything right. I don't know. But Jesus, you read the Gospels, and Jesus did everything right. And he was still rejected. All right, so I, so I understand. I understand. Sometimes we can we can act right with people and do everything we're supposed to do and still be rejected. I understand that. Nevertheless, 
we should work insofar as we can, like Paul says, insofar as you can, be at peace with all men. Let your moderation be known. We should work for credibility with other people. We should, as Abimelech here, this pagan king, uh, we can take a lesson from this pagan king, deal honestly with people. How will they believe what we are saying about Jesus if they can't believe what we're saying about anything else? Or how are they going to believe our story about the grace of God if we're not gracious toward them when we're talking about politics? Or anything. So even though we're not saved by works, I'm... I'm not saved today because I was good or am good or because I did anything good or whatever. We're not saved by works. But we are saved to works. And think of it this way. We are, we are justified before God apart from works. That is not based on anything we've done. It's just based on what Christ did. But we are justified before men by our works. And that's just the way it is. And James makes that case. You read the book of James, that's what he's talking about. And he's exhorting, just as Paul does too, and Jesus, he's exhorting us to good works. And so Abraham did not receive the promises of God by his good works. In fact, his, his efforts were rejected. Cast out the bondwoman and her child. She shall, he shall not be heir. His efforts were rejected. Nevertheless, because he's accepted by God, he is expected to live a life of good works and deal with his neighbors with integrity. And so are we. So... Relating to God and relating to man is, is different. But it's all tied together. Our relationship with God is totally grace-based. Our relationship with fellow human beings is not. And we need to know that and we need to Pray for power to display God's grace daily in our lives. We are blessed as children of God. And we are called to be a blessing to those around us, our fellow man. <clears throat> Would you stand, please? Let's... Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank You again today for Your Word, for the freedom that we have to be able to come and worship together, for the privilege, the honor, the joy of fellowship, Christian fellowship. And Lord, now we're asking that You make Your Word effective in our hearts and minds so that we live out 
what you are teaching us to live in your inspired word. For your glory, let it be so, we pray. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We're dismissed.